0: Welcome to another sustainablewineblog.com podcast with me Toby Webb and I'm delighted that joining me in today's podcast is Thomas Duru who is CEO and winemaker here at Chateau Palmer in Bordeaux where we're sitting right now in the chateau. So welcome to the podcast Thomas. How are you today? Pretty good. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. Thanks so much for the invitation to uh, come and see you guys and talk a bit about Palmer, and to talk a bit about uh, the work you 're doing in in sustainability in wine, so just to tell our, our listeners your sort of personal story briefly, Thomas, how did you get started in in wine? How did you end up running palmer?
1: Um, I, I just started to be interested in wine when I was quite young, actually a little bit too young maybe um, i I was exposed to uh, the diversity of uh, the wine world through uh, an incredible seller owned by uh, my best friend father and um and he really um opened our eyes to um to the diversity of uh, of this world and then um i i studied um, uh, biology and i decided to specialize myself and uh it went it, it went very natural uh, and naturally i went to the uh, to this specialization in agronomy in viticulture and in analogy i um i then uh, had a chance to travel quite a bit and um um went in different um area of the world different countries uh such as tokai in hungary uh california south africa uh italy uh of course and then in 2004 i came back to my hometown bordeaux um, having the chance to to be hired here uh, as the new ceo and um and uh, taking the responsibility to to push uh, Palmer to um, a higher level, I don't know, but um, to um, to a new era, I would say. Okay,
0: great. And how is 2018 looking for, so far for, for Palmer and for Bordeaux?
1: Challenging. <laughs> Challenging. We, uh, we had a very, very uh, long and uh, humid uh, winter, and uh, we hoped that uh, it would stop uh, in spring, but that that was not the case, and we had a lot of a lot of rain again. And rain here in Bordeaux means um, a lot of uh, mildew pressure. What we call the downy mildew. Uh, it's a disease that uh, that develop itself uh, on the on the leaves, but also on the on the baby clusters. And um, and being um, organic here, um, we don't have a lot of weapons. And uh, the best tool is to try to have uh, balanced vineyards and uh, naturally uh, able to manage the, the mildew. Uh, and then we have natural products such as uh, herb tea and, um, and the copper sulfate. Uh, but even that, I mean, it's quite challenging, It's quite difficult. So, so we are working very, very hard, fighting, uh, trying to, to keep the, um, uh, the situation under control, but it's not easy. And I guess being biodynamic, you're quite limited in the amount of copper you can use. Yeah, we're, we're limited in the amount of copper. Uh, but I would say that I mean, the main difference between what we do and what a um, um, more uh, classic way to grow the vineyard uh, um, is doing is that when you have um, chemical weapons, uh, it really goes into uh, the, the, the vine's blood. So, it it would protect the vine from the inside. Uh, With what we have, uh, and and copper in particular, it just goes on the outside. And so, when it does rain, uh, the the rain is really the factor that will uh, contaminate the mildew. But when it does rain, the vine is protected. But after a certain amount of rain, the, the, the copper is washed. And so the vine is not protected anymore. And so you really have to be able to go back in the vineyard to protect in case mm-hmm. of, a, of another rain. Um, so it makes it a little bit more complicated. Um, but it works. Uh, it works. And, and, and there is, of course, a controversy about uh, copper, etc., which is just incredible. Um, incredible in what way? <laughs> copper um, is a natural product um, in the old days. I mean, uh, 70 years ago, when uh, we had no other tools, copper was used to protect the vineyard, but it was used uh, in huge proportion. It was more or less 15 to 20 kilos of metal copper per year and per hectare, okay? And of course, uh, in such an amount uh, of use, there is a risk for the soil and for the life. In a difficult year here, like this year, we will use three kilos. And we know, um, because we have a lot of studies and, and we did it ourselves, we know that this amount is perfectly sustainable, perfectly manageable by the soil and all the life mm-hmm. in the soil, uh, just because avoiding all the chemicals, we have life again in the soil, mm-hmm. um, Bacteria, fungus, mycorrhiza, etc, etc. and all this life, use the copper. I mean you and I we could not live without copper. We need it, yep. but not too much. Yep. It's, you know, it's like wine. You know, we could not live without wine, but not too much. Same story. So um, what is extraordinary is that at the moment, there is all um, uh, the um, chemistry lobby that is just uh, spreading the voice that copper is very dangerous just because they're losing their business you know, because more and more people, more and more growers are really um, considering to avoid any chemicals and though they've, I mean, there is this fear to lose their business. So they try to lobby um, everybody um, to just get the copper banned and they sell those bio-control stuff which nobody knows what it is yeah. just to create a new business. And is it just, I mean, when you are in the business, Seeing what is happening right now is this, it's just incredible. I've seen some headlines recently saying, you know, toxic copper, and copper is a yeah.
0: poison. And, you know, as you say, then, to promote the sort of synthetic chemicals as a solution. Mm.
1: Which aren't and, and, well and, 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 and when you look back in history, I mean, the Romans, the Greeks, I mean, they, they knew that copper could be very useful mm. uh, to, just to, to clean things from bacteria, etc. Yeah. It has a real effect. Uh, it was a, a serious tool. To prevent disease and, and things, um, it's just a question of how much you use, how you use it, etc., etc., etc.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to come back and ask you a bit later about Bordeaux in, in general and, and sustainable agricultural practice. But let's let's talk about the palm story. I've been reading up a bit uh, on on what you've been doing. So you started here in two thousand four, is that right? Yeah, um, And then two thousand six, there was a challenging year, I think. But something seems to have happened in 2006 for you, from what I'm re- reading. That, that that seemed to be a, quite an important year in terms of thinking about sustainability and, and
1: sustainable practices. So maybe you can just talk us um, through what happened there for you. It, it was a, a little bit later. It was 08. 06 um, was kind of a challenging vintage because uh, I remember we had a, a very hot and dry... Um, uh, early September and then and then uh, humid condition came back and then because the skin were a bit damaged by the hot conditions botrytis the rot started to to develop and so it, it was a difficult vintage to manage uh, but it turned out to be a great wine and the wines are fantastic but no it, it just started after the 08 harvest um, was the new technical director uh, Sabrina Pernet um, we, we 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 were not that sensible to sustainability, but, um, uh, of course, we we, we heard um, um, interesting things about biodynamic and all those uh, moon and planet and cosmos and strange preparation, you know, horn and whatever. This was a little bit weird to us. Um, with our scientific background, it was not easy to understand, and we, you know, we were... Uh, uh, those people talking about uh, about it uh, had long air, you know, uh, smoking uh, strange things, etc. So we, we were a little bit curious about it and we thought, okay, we don't understand a clue about it. Uh, the only way to be a little bit more knowledgeable, maybe to understand a little bit better, is to experiment. So we started to put together an experimentation, just a, a block of old mellows divided in two. Uh, one half would be classically grown and the other half would be. Biodynamically uh, grown, uh, we asked um, uh, someone called Mathieu Boucher to give us a hand. And for, uh, for one year, we, uh, we tried to apply this philosophy to, um, to this plot. And um, two results. First one uh, was that um, we saw that without any chemicals, we would be able to, to grow successfully a vineyard. It means that we had no more disease than on the other, on the other part. And the second result was quite uh, interesting. You know, we made uh, a wine separately from the two blocks. And the wine um, made uh, with the um, biodynamically grown or farmed uh, fruit was not worse than the other one. So as a result, so well, this is doable. We can make a decent wine from it. And uh, what is interesting is that we avoid every type of chemicals, but still we didn't really understand the idea of uh, biodynamic. You know, it takes a few years to do a conversion. It takes a few years to have the certification. So it okay. takes a few. It takes three years to have the certification uh, biodynamic. Okay, but it takes quite a while to understand it, and to have a a vineyard or a soil that would really take advantage from it you know because in the end um, and I mean I I could talk a lot about it but to make a long story short uh, it took us several years to have feelings it took us several years to have uh, the feeling that uh, this is a very good alternative um, to farm a vineyard that it, it would help to get much better wine, in the sense that uh, it would have to make wine with um, a clearer link to the place. Mm -hmm. Um, And it took us a little time to understand what it was. And you know, sometimes, as I said before, when you hear biodynamic, you see those strange things, moons, planets, cosmic things, uh, uh, but but it's much more simple than that. Um, The idea of biodynamic is just uh, uh, a holistic vision. Holistic vision means global vision. Uh, Just the idea that a farm, a vineyard is not a factory, but a farm or a vineyard, uh, like our, is a a little world, a living organism, Mm. where there are vines, where there is life in the soil, uh, life in the air, uh, different type of plants, uh, trees, different um, ambience, etc. and everything has to be in balance. It's like a, a human body, when all your organs are in balance, uh, you are in good health. If mm. you have a problem uh, to your heart, it will have an impact on on all the rest of your body. Yeah. Same story. That's that's something we understood slowly but surely, and that's how we decided to really move um, and and go in, in this direction for the entire unit.
0: So it's been a gradual process. I think mean, you're totally certified for all of your.
1: Your hectareage I think that's probably the word to call it, in what, 2014, is that right? So well, no, t- 2014 um, um, is the first vintage where 100% of the vineyard was biodynamically farmed. Mm-hmm. But then it took three years to get the certification, which so is 17. In 17, I think, yeah. so it's still very rough. Yeah. So it's been, a, it's been a long journey. It, it's a very long journey. It's a very long journey, and it's just the beginning of it. So, I mean, we are certified now. It's been uh, four years that we used this approach for the entire vineyard, but there's still a long way to go uh, because um, we don't have the harmony we are hoping for. Um, We um, we still... Need to find few balances few things in the vineyard, so it is a very very long process, and that 's the interest of it it 's not like okay, now I do things like that, and it 's done no it's just i i 'm learning i I'm, I'm yeah I, I i get closer to the place to the land to the this living organism, and uh, eventually uh, one day i'll have such anomaly that uh, uh, the, the the health of the place will be really really strong. It's not
0: easy as well, given that effectively your core product is a kind of a monoculture, right? It's got a lot of vines, and and you know it's it's not it's not agroforestry, for example. Not yet. So um, well, that would be an interesting innovation, wouldn't it? Um, what new species would you say have you you now notice around that you didn't see before? I mean, do you keep track of that so you understand how the no. The, you know, the whole
1: process is evolving. But, but, different answers. Um, in the old days when we mm, were obsessed to have so-called clean vineyard, so with vine and nothing else, um, we, we had uh, different kind of problems but you know you could have suddenly a type of weeds that will start to grow and because we had nothing else around this weed will take all the space and will just invite, uh, how do you say, uh, invasion, yeah. uh, okay? Um, nowadays, uh, we let the weed develop themselves. We have a lot of different ones and there is a natural balance between them. So nothing really take the space or take the power, you know? Uh, but that's the same thing in uh, a hospital, you know? You have everything st- sterile, nothing. Mm if one type of bacteria find a little way yeah. boom yeah. it will just explode so that that that's what is happening uh, we also try to bring more diversity so um, we now are replanting hedges um we are replanting trees fruit trees because it was really like that in the old days mm-hmm. uh, it was not a monoculture here it was um, um a polyculture so we are replanting um, trees and fruit trees on the, on the edge of the vineyard, but also in the vineyard. And that's something quite innovative. So you have to imagine that a few, few, few years ago, or 12, two years ago, when uh, we went to a uh, board telling them that uh, we would uh, pull out a few vines to plant trees instead, they looked at us and said, oh, What? <laughs> what are you doing? But in the end, if you think about it, a tree in the middle of a vineyard. As different role one is like a water regulator mm-hmm. so too much water because the tree is bigger than a vine yep. it will be able to manage it not enough the tree has more power it will go deeper and bring back the water mm-hmm. uh, and help the, v- the vines around it um, the three has also um, a very interesting role in terms of, of diversity we made um, a study um, two years ago on um, insect diversity and we saw that as soon as we had a tree somewhere um the diversity was it was higher and so we had bugs that would help us to regulate uh the bug we don't want mm-hmm. the pest we don't want so um so yeah um agroforestry is, is really something that uh, makes sense and basically i think um agriculture should not be um regulating nature it should be working with mm-hmm. Mother nature yeah and and uh, well Interventionism, yes, but trying to find an harmony that you would see naturally in a forest. Mm-hmm. So,
0: how far do you take biodynamics? Because it seems to be, me to be in some cases a bit of a spectrum. Some people like to do some bits of it. Some people think other bits of it are mad. Some other people think the other bits of it are mad. I've heard people tell me that you know burying the cow horn is a ridiculous idea full of, you know, cooked up by dope-smoking hippies reading Steiner. Other people say, you know, the fruit-flower-day thing, harvesting at two in the morning is essential. Mm-hmm. And There's quite a lot of disagreement among some very yeah. well-known winemakers about this. Mm-hmm. So how far do you take it? Do you buy the whole
1: thing or do you just take the bits of it that you want? It's not easy for me to, to give you a proper answer because um, um, the whole thing doesn't mean anything. What I mean is that when you read Rudolf Steiner, what well, not of China, but what he said. Um, there are a lot of different ways to understand it. There are no rules. He, um, he didn't tell that's what you have to do. He just gave um, ideas and a philosophy. It's a set of principles. Exactly. exactly yeah. And then you read it, mm-hmm. you understand it the way you want, you apply things. Or others and you make your own route mm-hmm. so there is not one way to apply biodynamic to a farm there are a lot of different ways um, here at Chateau Palma, we always want to keep a scientific approach in what we do there are things we do we understand and we can prove we are things we do we don't understand why it does work but there is a result and there are things we don't do because uh, we don't understand and it doesn't work. It just, um, you know. But it, it is a little bit like the uh, Montessori schools. You know? mm-hmm. The idea is not to apply a, a recipe. Yeah. The idea is to let children grow by themselves. Mm. And what I really feel with, with this philosophy is that it does help us to design our own route and to to see the future in a very different way It's
0: a values based approach rather than a prescriptive one absolutely and that's been some of the criticisms of, of organic is that organic is often can be seen as more about what you don't do than about what you do actually do, yep. whereas biodynamics is much more interventionist
1: yeah uh, I, I mean organic is just means um you don't use chemicals anymore that's yeah. it which is which is a good thing you know. Mm. Um biodynamic, it's, it's, it's a much more uh, global approach. Yeah. So I interviewed
0: um, a guy called Dave Powell recently. You might have heard of him. He founded Torbrek. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. he's now got his own, another new company he started uh, called Powell and & Sons. And it's him and his son, Powell and & Son. And they're making amazing Shiraz in uh, the Eden Valley. And he's also got videos in Barossa and so on. And Dave said to me that um, he loves biodynamics. He's shifting towards it. But one of the things he's worried about is biodynamics making the vineyard too vigorous, too healthy, in the sense that um, he wants his vine, he wants his red wines to, to struggle a bit more when they're on the vine? And so he said he's got a few concerns about having overly vigorous vines by being biodynamic. Um, I wondered what you thought about that idea. Yeah, well,
1: that's not a feeling we have uh, at this stage. Um, what I can tell you is that um, when we decided to go biodynamic, we knew from the beginning that... Uh, It would be possible only if the the vigor of our vineyard would be low enough. What I mean is that um, uh, a young, powerful vine with dark green leaves full of nitrogen would be super, super fragile. That would be tough to grow it without chemicals. Uh, It's like a a veal with hormones. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you don't apply antibiotics, you would have a hard time. So we lower the vigor? Mm-hmm. We saw um, yields going down a little bit too much, and then our feeling right now is that the yields are coming back. Oh, really? Uh, but they're coming back not where they were in the '80s, mm-hmm. which was totally artificial. Yeah. But they're coming back to me on uh, their ability to produce, you know, uh, just. I mean, it's, it's just the result of uh, a balance between the place where they grow yeah. and, 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 and their ability to produce. So they're sort of healthier, so they're optimal output. No, I mean, I, I don't really see now uh, why they should be too, too vigorous. Okay. I, th- I think it might be quite ge- geographical,
0: geographical and location specific. You know, it's a totally yeah. different climate. You've got a maritime climate here. You know, um, I, guess so. uh, I guess so. Very different, I guess. It's an interesting point. Um, so let's talk about your, your owners, um, because you had to go to them and say, I want to pull up some vines, and I want to lower the yields. And um, that's not always the easiest thing to talk about in a boardroom, uh, having less money. So how did that work? And did you have any objections from them that you had to overcome? Did you have to kind of prove anything? Or mm-hmm. how did you sell them this idea?
1: Um. I think the the big difference between PAMA and um, another property is that um, uh, the two families, uh, the Seychelles and the Malabas, own this place um, for a long time. They've been owning this place for a long time. Uh, They bought it in 1938. And so uh, they, of course, see this place as an asset. But they also um, see this place as a legacy. And uh, when you take the time to explain that um, keeping the productivism, keeping chemistry, keeping uh, high yields may destroy forever the potential of this place, Mm -hmm. they really are sensitive to this idea. And so uh, the way we explain it, was just, first, I mean, if we don't do it, what you will give to your children mm-hmm. will not be the same that what you receive from your parents. And uh, the second big argument was, um, the second big idea was the idea that respecting the place, respecting the soil, respecting the vines um, would help to make a wine that is so special that, it would just be uh, an image of a place. In other words, uh, the idea is not to put a, a red liquid in a glass. The idea is to put a place in a glass. Mm-hmm. And, and the way we, we are moving uh, w- would help. Uh, and of course, there are also other arguments. Um, people working in the vineyard, sh- I mean, it's so different that now they're not exposed to chemicals anymore.
0: Yeah, well, Bordeaux is one of the largest, if not the largest... User of pesticides in France, I believe. There's a region, is that right? Well, it, certainly, it used to be.
1: Yeah, but do you know why? Because Bordeaux is the largest vineyard in France. <laughs> that that, that <laughs> easy. That is, yeah. Uh, but Bordeaux is not worse than other regions, it's just big. And I guess and, in the south, you get the advantage of better sun, so you, you need less. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, I mean, our, our, our weather, our climate is not easy, but, uh, but Bordeaux is moving. And um, I can tell you, um, I don't know one uh, vine grower in Bordeaux. Was happy to apply chemicals in this vineyard.
0: So um, how fast is it changing? I mean, obviously, Ponte Cane has been organic. I think they're biodynamic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to interview the, meet the guy, who winemaker at Smith Hole Feet a few years ago. Mm-hmm. He was telling me how they'd nuked the vineyard for, for decades and it took them a really long time to clean the soil. And they, they're very enthusiastic about the work they're doing there. But it does seem to be more of a scattered approach. We're not seeing everybody in the classification of 1855 doing this at the same time. Why is that? And uh, what do they say to you when, they, when you talk to them about what you're doing?
1: Everybody try. Everybody's convinced that this is the future. Everybody's convinced that chemicals is not the future. Um, but not everybody has the same rhythm. So I can tell you, um, I would say probably that 80% or 90% of the classified growth of Bordeaux have a little piece of vineyard, bigger or smaller um, organic or biodynamic. Everybody is, is experimenting. Um, but um, we had the chance to have uh, owners who uh, accepted that we would move faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it took us five years to, to be fully um, biodynamic. Uh, there are other situations where it's a bit more difficult. But so, sure, I mean, if you look at um, certification, I think 7% or 8% of the Bordeaux vineyards is certified, organic or biodynamic. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the percentage of vineyard that is organically farmed, or biodynamically farmed, or biodynamically farmed, and uh, including all the experimentation, that will be much, much, much bigger. So there's a lot happening, but it's not reflected in the official numbers of certification. And
0: that's interesting, I've met quite a lot of winemakers all over Europe and around the world who don't like the idea of certification. They don't like the idea of being told what they're doing is right or wrong, but they follow these principles
1: anyway. So they they don't they don't appear in those numbers. But so. let me give you. I mean, just a word on, the, on that because I saw exactly the same. Um, why should we be certified? I mean, we just do what we want, and then um, and then we'll see. Um, there's no need to to have uh, rules blah blah. Pro- two problems. One is that. In the world where we live, if you say you do something, you have to be able to prove it because that's what the consumer wants. Mm. Second, there's so much bullshit. Excuse, the, excuse me for, for, for the term, but there's so much, so many people saying, yeah, yeah, I'm organic, and, and I, but I don't care about the certification. Mm. And then if you look at it carefully, they do what they want, which mm. means that they're not. That, at a certain... I mean, where we are right now, I think certification is super important. That's uh, th- there is a, one famous first growth uh, in the who saw it, who is fully organic and biodynamic, who said, well, certification is not for us. We don't need it. They changed their mind. Mm-hmm. And they are certified. Interesting.
0: So um, let me ask you about climate change. Um, I was just listening to a podcast this morning on the plane they're testing CO2 concentration uh, on and its effect on coffee plants and other, other agricultural species. And they're looking for what increased concentration of carbon dioxide parts per million in the atmosphere is doing to the nutritional value of crops. And as the parts per million concentration goes up, what appears to be happening is these plants are kind of sometimes getting bigger and more vigorous, but they're losing nutritional value. And these are early, early stage experiments. But it sounds like a pretty scary prospect, if that's going to be true. So what are your concerns around climate change? And have you noticed changes since you've been working in, the, in this field related that you think are related to climate change?
1: Um, yes. Uh, w- what I've seen is that uh, in the last 20 years or last 15 years, we had a very high number of great vintages in Bordeaux. So I must say that the the global warming so far is a positive thing for us, Uh, but it's a disaster for the planet. Uh, My concern is um, not easy to explain because um, there is definitely um, a global change in climate, but we don't know yet exactly what it could be in Bordeaux. Um, My point is that um, we have this wonderful Gulf Stream, this current in the Atlantic Ocean Mm. that will just mild everything, you know. We don't have a very warm summer in Bordeaux. We don't have very cold um, winter. Mm. If because of the uh, the, 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 the weather change, uh, the Gulf Stream stops, uh, we will have a weather or a climate like New York. So very cold uh, winter, very hot summer. Mm. So that would be totally different. Uh, what is very difficult in, um, in viticulture is that um, the scale is very long. When you plant a vine, it takes 10 years to have a normal crop and 20 years to have a good crop, quality-wise. Yeah. So how, what should I do now? What should we do now uh, to anticipate the weather in 20 years? I don't know. So so we just have to see what is happening mm. and then to adapt ourselves, but it's very difficult to anticipate. What about alcohol levels? That, that must worry you, that alcohol levels are
0: going up, because I think we all know that once you get beyond 14 15 percent, and even up to that point, it really does change your wine. And lots of people yeah. are saying, oh, I can do it, we can manage, but yeah, and there are some really good wines with alcohol mm. at those mm. levels, but that's not what palm is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So that must be a concern for you. Yeah, it
1: is a concern. But um, if we look at it, I mean, there is definitely um, uh, uh, an effect of the of the, the global warming, but there is also um, this is also a result of a, a, a change in um, in fashion. What I mean is that uh, in the eighties, in the nineties, and we know uh, what it does come from. Everybody tries in Bordeaux to make riper fruit, bigger wines, more concentration, Parkerized, kind of, you know. And so we um, change the way to make fruit. And I mean, and I mean, and when I was much younger, you know, as a young winemaker, uh, to exist or to be someone, I was just convinced that I should produce the most. Ballsy wine ever, you know. Uh, and in the end, it just—it's not that difficult to do. You just lower the yield. You just uh, wait the longest. Yeah. Uh, you sort everything, and you do extraction as crazy. Mm. You warm up the vat. Blah 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 blah. It's it's yogurt. It's recipe. Mm. Um, with uh, having uh, white hair now and being a little bit older, <laughs> I, I, I understand that. I mean. Uh, Winemaking is not, it's not make big, big boobs wine. Yeah. It's, it's to, to understand the place and to get mm. finesse and to get delicacy. Yes. Um, and and I don't think the the weather change uh, is a problem. I just think that you have to to see things differently. So the alco- the rising alcohol, you think, is less to do with climate change and more to do with style, fashion, that kind of thing? I, I think it's a combination of the two. Uh, uh, but uh but at this stage i would say that um winemaking uh had more impact on this alcohol level than weather okay um final question because uh, we could
0: talk all day but um we and the listeners don't have all day to, to keep chatting about this but final question you've got you're running a big brand right? in in luxury goods palmer is a big name you guys have pretty good margins you have brand power and you're doing very cutting edge work. What kind of responsibility do you feel to take others with you to promote the idea, to kind of be out there as a leader saying we need to move towards sustainable agriculture because that is a powerful message coming from a big luxury brand.
1: Um, We definitely have a role to play. Uh, we, we have this uh, chance to be, um, uh, to be successful, uh, to have um, um, the shoulders and the, and the money to take risk. Um, we, we, we don't think that what we do is what everybody has to do, but we are just convinced that the way viticulture was um, in the 80s in the 90s is not the future. Uh, we would love to see our neighbors and Bordeaux in general um, moving this direction with different interpretations, with different possibility. And um, and yes, we, we we take our part of our responsibility and and we are pushing. You know, f- few years ago, uh, I told um, a journalist, uh, I'm convinced that every every classified growth will not have other options than going organic. And uh, I had a few phone calls from my friends, from my colleagues, who were not very happy. Um, But I think that the way it is. We are now trying to convince uh, all the Margot appellation to see the future without chemicals. And it's a long way to go, but I think that's part of our job. That's part of our responsibility. Great. Thomas, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome.